We're continuing in our series titled First Followers, where we've been learning from first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts what it means to follow Jesus here and now, 2021, St. Pete, Florida. When all hope is lost and there's no fight left within you, when the circumstances you're facing go from bad to worse, what will you do? In, in Acts 27 and 28, we find the Apostle Paul, he's out at sea in the midst of a fierce storm that threatens his life and the lives of everyone with him. And his words of assurance, when all hope was abandoned, his expressed faith, when shipwreck was certain, it will help us face storms of every kind and find hope in our darkest hour. It's been my prayer for us as a church that the words we find here in this story in Acts 27 and 28 would bring hope, would bring endurance, would bring relief. I want to give us a little history here. The Apostle Paul is finally being transferred from Caesarea to Rome. He's under the guard of a centurion named Julius. He is with the author of the book of Acts. His name is Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he's with a man named Aristarchus from Thessalonica. And they've already journeyed to the island of Crete to a place called Fair Havens. In chapter 27, verse 9, it says, the voyage, was now, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. And the fast, this is the fast surrounding the Day of Atonement, the celebration of the Day of Atonement. And it would have been early October, November by this time. And so it's a time when ships would find a harbor, safe harbor for the winter months because it was far too dangerous to sail during the season. And we find that the pilot of the ship and the owner of the ship, they don't want to stay in the harbor of Fair Havens for the winter. It doesn't suit them. They want to move on to a more suitable harbor for the winter. The situation isn't good. Paul advises against sailing in this season and he actually thinks if we continue on, then it's not going to go well for us. Let's learn more about that. We'll pick up in chapter 27, verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called uh, Kata. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the surus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And we'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, by your spirit, minister. Lord, especially to those 
who feel as if all hope has been abandoned, all hope has been lost, especially to those who are in the midst of a circumstance that is just unrelenting. It's not lifting, it's dark, but they're here. And so, Lord, you know it's been my prayer that, God, you'd bring comfort and grace and peace and strength and endurance to those individuals. And, Lord, for all of us, we, we will face some storm that comes our way and surprises us that, that doesn't seem to lift. It, it'll be hard, but, Lord, teach us how to walk through storms like that. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three points, uh, I believe, will help us walk through chapters 27 and 28. Number one, the power of a raging sea. Number two, the promise of rescue. And number three, the power of a serpent's bite. First, the power of a raging sea. In verse 14, we, we learn that this is a northeaster that struck down from land that had hit them. This is a storm with hurricane-force winds pushing the boat off course and doing it quickly. In verses 18 through 20, it just emphasizes how serious the situation was. It says that they were violently storm-tossed, throwing rigging and tackle overboard. I mean, this is alarming. These are alarming and desperate measures. Sailors don't just do this. Neither sun nor stars appeared, it says, for many days. And then finally in verse 20, it says, all, not just some, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. It was forsaken. It was given up. It was thrown overboard with the tackle. All hope was abandoned. You ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You know, we live in a broken world filled with hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes, earthquakes, northeasters, come out of nowhere too. Accidents, disease, death, COVID, job loss, family strife, marital strife. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're walking through one or a number of those things that I've listed. Maybe you're despairing. Maybe you're here today wondering, what's up, God? The Northeaster, it didn't happen because Paul was disobedient. That's Jonah. That's the story of Jonah. <laughs> and it didn't happen because God was angry. It's simply a, a part of life in a sin-sick world. We live in Florida, and we experience hurricanes. Every time a hurricane happens, we're not wondering, is God angry at me? Author N.T. Wright describes the sea as a symbol of evil. He, he, he talked about how in classic literature, and especially in Jewish thought, the sea was seen as a dark force, a monster, an evil, a place, he says, from which dark powers might emerge. So here they are, facing the raging fury of the sea, and they're unable to subdue it. And they're in desperate need of rescue. I mean, they've come to the end of themselves. They've lost all hope. It's been abandoned. The raging sea is going to win. In Acts 27 and 28, we, we look at these scenes, and as they unfold, they're just these, these pictures, these scenes that we're, we're, we're viewing up close, but much like a mosaic or a painting that you step back and you squint at, and the pictures come together to form something bigger. I mean, that, I believe that's here before us this morning. 
We're going to step back in a few minutes and see the bigger picture that's presented to us in Acts 27 and 28, but for the time being, we're up close, and every scene matters. And if you read verse 20 and you think, man, this is me. I wonder, I wonder if anyone in this room can relate, but this is me. And the answer to that question is we all can. A fierce storm that drops out of nowhere has happened to all of us. And it will happen again. And the question is, when it does, what will we do? So we see the power of the raging sea. Second, the power, or the promise rather, of rescue. The promise of rescue. Let's pick up now in verse 21. We'll continue this story. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. And so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail in the wind, and they they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The promise of rescue. 
Paul gathers everyone, all 276 passengers. You should have listened to me, he says. I'm just saying. I don't think he's rubbing it in so much as building up some credibility for what he's about to say next. In verse 22, he says, take heart. In other words, be encouraged, be strengthened. Find comfort and courage right here in the midst of the storm, right here in the midst of this evil, oppressive monster of a storm that seems to have stolen all hope. There will be no loss of life. This storm will not win. It will not hinder what God has set out to accomplish. Only the ship will be lost. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) How do you hold on to the promise of rescue when shipwreck is certain? How do you hold on to the promise of rescue when devastation and loss is a guarantee? Holding on to the promise of rescue, well, we're coming to find out it sure doesn't mean smooth sailing. It doesn't mean things are going to get back on track to your timetable. Paul didn't plan to shipwreck. He's on his way to Rome. It doesn't mean that this life won't be difficult or dangerous. So this is a turning point in the story. It's the turning point for every one of our, our lives here. If we've experienced the promise of rescue in the midst of hopelessness, if we've experienced the promise of rescue in the midst of despair, I mean, that, that, that's a turning point in our lives. The promise of Jesus' rescue. If, if you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus and, and who he is and what he's accomplished, you're, you're, you're holding on to promises. A promise of rescue in the midst of a fierce storm. It's what you're doing. It's what we're doing. That's what surrender in faith looks like. Holding on to promises. Jesus came. He he stepped into our world. He took on the stuff we're made of, right? He faced our greatest storm. He lived a life of obedience in our place and died a substitutionary death to receive the punishment for our sins, the one we deserved and was raised to life. Guarantee of life now in him by his spirit, made new, but also life to come. Eternal life, forever life. And all of this by faith in Jesus. We're holding on to promises. But maybe what's happened in your life, the circumstances, this hour of darkness, this unrelenting storm, has pulled you away like a, like a fierce tide. Pulled you away from those promises. Pulled you away from what you once held so tightly to, and maybe you've, you've loosened your grip a little bit, if not completely let go. And, and so I want to encourage you, please hold on tightly to what you have found and seen in Jesus. Do not let go. It was a turning point at one point in your life If you have looked to Jesus, let it be a turning point again. In verse 23, I love how Paul describes God to these sailors and soldiers and prisoners and merchants who are gathered and who are on this ship. He he describes God this way, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I just love that. He is describing the one true God. 
He's speaking to relativists and, and polytheists. He's, he's making clear that the one true God is personal and loving and worthy of adoration and devotion. He's speaking about the creator God who is in the midst of the storm as the wind and the rain just beat down on them as the ship, it just, it just tosses them back and forth and they're having trouble standing as he speaks. He says this about God. He's going to rescue us out of this chaos. He's going to rescue us from this storm that we are experiencing. How do you describe God to those who don't know him? How do you explain your relationship with the one true living God creator in the midst of the storms of life? How do you speak to the relativists, the secularists, the humanists, the atheists? How how do you speak of God? Paul says, this is the God to whom I belong. The God to whom I belong, I belong. Oh, that's personal. This is the God whom I worship. Sacrificial love, devotion, commitment, worship. In verse 24, the angel reminded Paul what Jesus already promised, and this is so important. The angel doesn't come to Paul with all this new information, really. He just doesn't. He comes reminding Paul what Jesus has already said. And do you know that that's, that's really my responsibility, is, is not to come with some... Uh, new word or some uh, novel idea that you're like, wow, Darren, that's amazing. Never, ever would have seen that coming. No. My job is to hold up the truth of of God's word that, that we need to see again. My job is to hold up the words of Jesus that we need to hear again. My, my job is to hold up the gospel and say, don't move away from it. by God's grace, make it clear where it's become fuzzy, to remind, to renew, to hold up. The angel reminded Paul what Jesus already promised. Don't be afraid. You must appear before Caesar. Remember Paul? Remember what Jesus said, Paul? Remember when you were in Corinth? Remember when you were really struggling? Remember when you were just in a dark place and and Jesus stood by your side and said, you're going to be my witness. You're going to Rome. Well, you're still going to Rome, Paul. Don't be afraid. We need to hear what Jesus has to say. (laughs) We need to hear what Jesus has said again and again. Can I just encourage you, please, if you have not read a gospel account, read one soon. Get, get into a gospel like today, this afternoon. If you've not read a gospel account for some time, go there quickly. We need to hear the words of Christ again and again. Let them wash over us. Let them remind us of this great rescue that's been promised to us. He says in verse 25, take heart. He already said it in verse 22, be encouraged. He says it again, be encouraged. This is a word of comfort and assurance in the midst of a storm. I mean, just imagine. Really? Take heart? Be encouraged? How? 
He says, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Time out. You're promising rescue, but we have to first like wreck the ship, run aground. This rescue, in other words, it's going to happen, but it has to be on God's terms and not yours. That's what he's saying. This rescue is going to happen, but it has to be on God's terms and not yours. And the same is true for us. It has to be on God's terms. You know, some might think you read this and you think, man, why didn't God just quiet the wind and the waves? Why couldn't he spare the ship? Why couldn't he have done it a different way? I mean, don't you remember when Jesus was with the disciples and he he woke up from his nap and he rebuked the wind and the waves and the waves obeyed him? Why couldn't God do that? He could have. He could have stilled the storm. But what are we going to do when he doesn't? Verse 30, some sailors knew that they were in shallow waters. They could sense it. And they pretended to let down anchors, but were really planning an escape on, on the ship's little boat there. They were planning a, another way of escape on their terms. It's interesting how we can do the same thing. We hear God's terms, and we're like, well, I, I like this, and, and I like that, but... Uh, Are you doing that? I want you to imagine the tension on board the ship as Paul says, hey, if they escape on that, then basically we can't be saved. And so the centurion comes over with his soldiers, with his boys, and he cuts the rope and he says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not leaving the ship. Imagine the tension. Verses 33 through 37 It had been 14 days of suspense and no food, seasickness and anxiety. And then in verse 34, we see uh, what Paul speaks to them in the midst of that. Not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. What is this? This emphasizes what he's been saying. It emphasizes the certainty of what was promised. And Paul is quoting Jesus here. Jesus uh, alludes to this in Luke 12, and then again, he he speaks these words directly in Luke chapter 21, and he does so to disciples when he's speaking about what will be wars and persecution and even death. But guess what? Not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. What? You know, The rescue that Jesus has in mind for us, death is no match for it. War is no match for it. Persecution is no match for it. Our circumstances, the one that you're facing, it's no match for it. He is able. We have this not a hair will perish promise given to us. Is it a promise that we actively rest in? 
The promise of rescue, the promise of rescue holds many other promises. Imagine it like a little um, gift box, we could say, that we open up the promise of rescue. And and what is in this promise of rescue? Uh, There's presence, God's presence. Uh, There is provision, his provision of guidance. Uh, There is power to endure. Uh, There is purpose in the midst of circumstances that feel so out of control, like, really, Lord, how could you use this? I don't have to figure it out, by the way. I don't have to figure out how he can use a really uh, dark circumstance, okay? I just trust it's one piece, a dark piece of the mosaic uh, that he's putting together uh, here, but I don't have to understand it all. But there's purpose in it, and and there's love in, in that promise of rescue, These promises, promises of presence, provision, power, purpose, and love, these promises heal us and sustain us and empower us in the midst of the dark hour. (laughs) That's what they do. And so we're called to hold on to these promises. I mean, fiercely hold on to these promises. The anchor was an early symbol of Christianity. We know the cross as a symbol of Christianity, but did you know the anchor was an early symbol of Christianity? And it makes sense. Jesus is the anchor of our lives. Our hope is tied to who he is and what he accomplished. And this hope, it isn't a subjective attitude. It's not speculation. It isn't based on wishful thinking, but on the blessing that is grounded or anchored in the redeeming work of Jesus. That is where the Christian's hope is anchored. Let the anchor down. (laughs) My life is grounded in that. And so, Paul can write to the Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You might be tempted, though, in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of experiencing a deeply painful season, you might be tempted in the midst of facing an unrelenting storm that is seemingly dropped out of nowhere. And by the way, I am very sorry I'm not speaking flippantly about the difficulty or the painful experience that you're in. No. Uh, My heart, my hope is to come alongside and to speak words of hope. But you might be tempted to try to change the circumstance on your own. Force the change through escape. (laughs) Through ignoring it. Dismissing it. I, I got to get, get out of this circumstance. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to ignore or dismiss or forget the circumstance. And so it could be turning to a substance, uh, alcohol or drugs. It could be turning to a relationship again that you, you know you shouldn't. It, it could be just like double burden God and saying, I'm out. It, it could be a number of things like that. Find someone or something to blame, namely God. Or, or, we learn to hold on to the promise of rescue. And holding on to the promise of rescue requires all of us to do something. It requires all of us to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
who is the author and perfecter of our faith. You might have heard the story before, but I, I led a, a group, this was many years ago, I don't think I've shared it, uh, of young adults down to the Keys, we went snorkeling. And that was our, our weekend to snorkel, and it was terrible weather. And these, the swells were huge, the boat was still going out, the captain of the little boat was like, yeah, we'll still do this. And so we're like, yeah, let's go snorkeling. Well, we get out there, and we had like 20, 25 young adults on this boat. Everyone is sick, everyone except me. I'm talking, there are like people curled up in the fetal position crying. Just sick is all get out. And I'm just like, I'm doing good, and here's why. <laughs> and I was resolute. I was staring at that horizon. I, I, I heard somewhere, you just stare at the horizon. So I'm holding on to like this, this pole on the boat, and I'm just like, staring at the horizon. People are like crying. I'm like, I'm not going to get sick. <laughs> yep, sorry. Sorry for you. I'm just fixed on the horizon. I felt a little bad, but not really. Um, it all worked out. We had pizza that night, watched a movie. It was fine. Um, <laughs> friends of mine still, we talk about that trip. It's just, it was horrible. Um, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. People were dropping like flies around me. I had my eyes fixed on the horizon. The storms and trials that you and I face, they are not evidence that Jesus' promises have failed. They are not evidence that his purposes are somehow frustrated or thwarted. There is no natural disaster, there is no diagnosis, there is no poor decision on your part or failure that you've made that can stop Jesus from accomplishing his purpose in you. And some of you need to hear that this morning. There is no natural disaster, there is no poor decision, there is no diagnosis, there is no failure that you have made that can stop Jesus from accomplishing his purpose in you. Verse 35, the language is reminiscent of the night before Jesus' crucifixion when he was with his disciples. Do you remember this night? He took, bread and the, he took the bread and the cup, and it was a celebration of that new covenant that he was going to establish through his broken body and shed blood. And the language, it's, it's very similar, and I don't think Paul celebrated communion on board that ship with all 276 of the passengers. I do think Luke uses similar language um, on purpose, and I think Paul could have celebrated communion quietly on his own just before they're about uh, to jump overboard and, and make their way towards an island as an expression of faith. It's a beautiful expression of faith, regardless if Paul quietly um, celebrated communion that night or not. Um, we celebrate communion, and what are we doing as we celebrate communion? We're holding on to promises. We're expressing our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus' broken body and shed blood on our behalf, that it was sufficient, it was enough. <laughs> We're holding these tangible elements in our hands that remind us of this powerful rescue that has taken place. Sometimes we need to, I, I need to be recentered again and again in that rescue. And there are people that I've ministered to over the years, especially those facing death, that 
They, they, they wrestle in those moments leading up to death like, oh, I, I could have done more. I wish I would have done this. I could, I could have done that. And as, as, you know, as we wrestle with what we all will face one day, and that is death, we can, with, with hope and assurance, hold on to that, that promise of rescue even in the face of death. And so, come alongside friends who are facing death before me, and we sing songs like, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Recenter me on what Jesus did to rescue and redeem. When we partake of communion, and I think, I think Paul was in those moments as they were eating, getting ready to jump over into the abyss, I think he was thinking this, Jesus, you got me. I'm yours. You love me. I look to you. You faced my greatest storm. You're going to see me through this one. And maybe you can adopt that prayer as your own. Jesus, it's hard for me to see right now, but you've got me. You love me. You've seen me through my greatest storm. You've rescued me out of my sin and shame. You're going to see me through this one. Paul's faith in those moments produced courageous leadership in him. It was leadership that led an entire ship to safety. It influenced everybody. The ship eventually hits a sandbar. The soldiers, they want to kill Paul. Uh, weren't they listening to him? Uh, Julius intervenes. So again, the Lord is sovereign and at work through various means, from weather patterns to centurions, right? And those who could swim and those who couldn't, they all jump overboard into the abyss, into the raging sea. And all of them are brought safely through the waters. You ever hear that before? Safely through the waters. From Genesis 1 and the spirit hovering over the waters to Noah being brought safely through the waters to the great exodus out of Egypt safely through the waters of the sea to Jonah and to our own baptism into the waters. Waters of judgment come out cleansed of our sin because of what Jesus accomplished. Finally, we see the power of a serpent's bite they made it through the waters to dry land. And here's what happens. Chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to each other, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Paul is helping gather sticks. He lays them on the fire, and out comes a snake, a poisonous viper that fastens to his hand. And the people of the island are like, oh, he's done. 
This guy was a murderer. The sea didn't swallow him up. Well, this viper's taking him out. So first the sea, and now a snake, another symbol of evil. And along with the snake comes the accusations and lies of the locals that Paul is a murderer, and he's going to die. The presence of accusations and lies where, where there's a snake. Hmm. He shakes the snake, the serpent, into the fire, along with those accusations and lies that came with it. And the locals, they're waiting for him to drop dead, and he doesn't. Uh, they think he's a god. Paul will just days later go on and, and use that same hand that the viper was hanging on to lay on a man who is sick and dying and see him healed by the power of God through him. And so when we stand back now and squint at this story, the scenes come together and form this beautiful picture of what it looks like in church, what is required to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What is required to follow Jesus? Holding on to promises and shaking off accusations and lies. Holding on to promises and shaking off accusations and lies. In other words, surrender. Surrender is required. And it's on display through the mission of the early church here in Acts. But it's on display through you as you hold on to the promise of rescue. It's on display through you as you shake off accusations and lies. Even in your darkest hour. Even in the midst of an unrelenting circumstance that just isn't lifting. Holding on to promise. You're shaking off accusation and lies. It's a practice that we're called to. It's a lifestyle we're welcomed into. And so what we find in this crazy story is that the sea, the shipwreck, the snake, the sickness, oh, they're no match. They are no match for the power of Jesus. Paul reached Rome. We're going to look at that next Sunday. And isn't, isn't that what the cross reminds us of? that every power has been overcome. Sin and death and the Satan, the deceiver himself, are no match for the power of Jesus. So this is our hope. This is our hope in our darkest hour. This is where we let the anchor down. This is the solid rock upon which we stand. It's Jesus. And so between the power of a raging sea and the power of a serpent's bite, is the promise of our Savior. And it's a promise of rescue. It's a promise of presence. It's a promise of provision and power. It's a promise of purpose and love. And it's a promise that is, is there to bring healing and endurance. And so it's a promise that you are invited and I am invited to hold on to here and now. It's ours to hold on to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the promise of rescue that is ours to hold on to and that we find is not just for entrance into the kingdom of God, but is for the life that we're called to live. To continue to fix our eyes on you, Lord, is, is our heart's desire. Even when these surprise storms catch us off guard and 
despair fills our hearts, pain and suffering. Help us to remember that none of that, none of that will overpower the promise of rescue that is found in you. None of that. So bring hope. Bring peace. Bring strength and power today, we pray, as we hold on to promises and as we shake off accusations and lies.